Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. It's game over for one of London's iconic transport fares, the One Day Travel Card. The special tickets offering unlimited journeys on tubes and buses are being withdrawn by Mayor Steve Khan from January in a bid to raise transport for London an extra £40 million every year. So how does the card work? Passengers heading into London typically add a travel card onto their rail tickets with a total cost normally cheaper than if they were to pay separately for all journeys. And we'll hear more about the history in part two. Some 65,000 daily travel cards are bought on most days and these will all be cut in a push for passengers to instead use contactless or oyster the campaign for better transport warns axing one-day travel cards will make it about 16 percent more expensive for family rail trips to london and even launched a protest called don't cut the card so how has it now come to this first evening standards transport editor ross lydell brings us up to speed this was an idea that dates back a year or two really to the pandemic and when uh, the government essentially insisted that transport for london the mail's transport authority save some money and make some more money because obviously we recall during the pandemic there was about £5 billion worth of government bailouts for TfL to keep the tube and the buses running. Now, TfL is now required to essentially break even and it's doing pretty well and on course to do that and actually make a small surplus or profit by next March. But one of the things it's doing to generate more income is looking to get rid of the one-day travel card because essentially it believes it's losing about £40 million a year through being part of the scheme. Who's it going to impact? This won't affect Londoners directly. This will affect people coming into London from the suburbs beyond London, essentially beyond the M25. So the issue here is people who primarily would get a mainline train into the centre of the capital, but would have bought a ticket with essentially a travel card incorporated in that ticket that would allow them to use the buses and the tubes as much as they want during the day. If they buy both as as one product, as a sort of combined rail ticket travel card, the cost is cheaper than it would be if they bought a return ticket, say, to Waterloo or King's Cross, and then paid for their bus and train fares on top of that. But TfL says the result is that Londoners are effectively subsidising people who live outside of London, and therefore it essentially wants its ball back and says, we're not going to subsidise you any longer, you have to pay the going rate. 
what a travel campaign is saying. Well, the Campaign for Better Transport it has published a number of figures, a number of fails where it sort of highlights the differential between the current cost using the one-day travel card and how much it would cost from January should Sadiq Khan and TfL go ahead with actually withdrawing the one-day travel card. Now, the issue here is that if it costs £40 million or if TfL reckons it can generate £40 million more through requiring people to pay separately for the tube or the bus, will that deter them from coming into the capital at all? And this is the argument, really. Like On the scale of TfL's funding, £40 million is... And not inconsiderable sum, but it's not a massive sum. You know, you're talking of an organisation with up to about £10 billion a year revenue. But the wider benefit of these people coming into London, say, going to a show, going to a restaurant, going shopping, you know, spending a considerable amount of money, that sort of hassle factor and the extra five or ten quid they would have to pay to travel could be just enough to put some travellers off. What about the weekly and monthly travel cards? We do know that TfL has ruled out any threat to the weekly and monthly travel cards. This is only about the one-day travel card, but it will also affect children because there's a child sort of one-day travel card as well. So parents coming in as a family will also have the added headache of having to arrange a ticket for their child as well, rather than being able to sort of incorporate them on the family travel card, which is um, essentially one of the concerns of travel campaigners who have highlighted the benefits of the travel card and in particular the family travel card. And they have looked at a range of fares and they're saying that effectively or on average, it will cost families about 16% more to travel into London with their children under the new system than it would under the current system where the one-day travel card is still in existence. And how is TfL's post-pandemic financial black hole looking? Well, TfL's black hole is actually filling up rather nicely, we could say. They expect to make a modest profit or operating surplus of around £73 million this financial year, so by next March. The issue there is that that's only on a sort of day-to-day basis. The problem they've got is that they have no certainty on bigger capital or infrastructure projects. So while they're sort of breaking even, if you like, on a day-to-day basis, they don't have any money in the bank for the bigger projects, whether that's Hammersmith Bridge, whether that's extending the DLR across to Thamesmead and so on, and they are reliant on government funding for that. Ministers have said that they will help TfL to do these big projects, but everything is not rosy at TfL, but it's certainly rosier than it was a year or two ago. Let's go to the ads coming up. Which European cities really do offer the best travel services for residents and visitors? Why not hit follow in the meantime and give us a rating? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Now we're joined by Dr. James Fowler, a lecturer in strategy at the University of Essex Business School and author of Strategy and Managed Decline, London Transports, 1948-87. to Please could you give us a recap on the history of the modern London travel card? Uh, yes, indeed. So it goes back quite a long time now, about 40 years or more. So they arrived back in spring 1983. They gave you access to what was a relatively small zone by our standards now. It was split into two, City and West End. And I think that would roughly correspond to what we would now call Zone 1. But they proved enormously popular and that quite quickly expanded out 84 to give you validity across a whole day. And then in 85, you got something called the Capital Card, which expanded that out to all modes of transport, not just London transport modes. And who was the target audience? More commuters or for leisure travel? I think in those days, you could throw almost everyone into that mix because it was such a revolutionary way of looking at ticketing. So just to explain by analogy, when you get in your car, you either put a key into the ignition or it's a uh, if it's a newer car, you press a button and it starts up. And I'm just going to ask people to sort of hang on with that with that key uh, as a sort of um, um, as an image in their minds, because once you put that single key into the ignition, you have access to the entire road network across the UK. So what the travel car did was effectively provide people with a key to London's transport system. So you had one ticket, which gave you access to you know the entire network of, uh, of tubes and buses and so on and so forth. And that was absolutely revolutionary. Changed the whole way in which people perceive travel. And so why was it so revolutionary? What's important to sort of throw one's mind back to, and this this will seem very anachronistic, but the history really of ticketing um, in London and, and elsewhere divides journeys up into tiny little segments. And fares were set essentially by distance, really. So you were charged in sort of penny or half penny stages, depending on how much mileage you consumed. And there were literally thousands, tens of thousands of different fares because every single fare was calculated point to point across you know whatever bus stop or you were moving to or whatever train station or tube station you were moving from. And so people saw travel as really very, very segmented. So you moved from one particular place to another particular place and you were charged for that amount. And what the travel car did was say, no, 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 that that's just too complex. We're going to simplify that. We'll have a series of zones. You have one ticket and that will take you anywhere you wish within that particular area. And if you think about that, that's just a completely different way of conceptualizing travel. It made it vastly more convenient. And I think it probably had a slightly downward effect, I would suggest, on, on fare in a lot of ways because of the simplifications, but that's got a generalised statement. What's your view on why the paper one-day travel card has survived so long in the age of contactless and oyster? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first thing I think to note is that before lockdown, there are about sort of almost 30 million sales a year of these, and that's fallen a long way to between sort of 12 and 15. So it's on its way out, I'd suggest, but 12 to 15 million sales is non-negligible. Why is it endured? I think really because one of the most interesting things about people habits when they travel is that they are very, very ingrained. And I think because this was such a, a revolutionary idea and so convenient, I think for a lot of people, they got into the habit of doing it and habits once made are, are quite difficult to break. I think that's been supplemented by one or two particular, shall we say, interest groups in all of this. So there's the people who still, for understandable reasons, maybe just don't have you know, connection to the internet or perhaps don't bank on by internet and so on and so forth. And they tend to stay with things like checkbooks or 
or, or the physical, they quite like the idea of having a physical artifact that they use to, to get around. Then you've got tourists um, who sometimes find that equally difficult. And of course, they face sometimes complicated bank charges if they just try and swipe their credit cards and get into the underground that way. So the physical ticket's quite nice for them. Um, and then I think from the family's perspective, again, it's a combination of having that, that nice physical artifact in your hand when you're organizing lots of different people at the same time. Uh, and it is very convenient. So I think a combination of all those things together has kept um, uh, you know, physical ticketing and, and the, the daily travel card alive for yeah, a very long time. Where's some of the best value European cities for one-day travel cards for visitors and residents? For example, in Geneva, if you're a visitor, you can get those sort of free travel out from the airport into the centre. And if you stay at a local hotel or camping site, that also entitles you to free travel. But when you look into this, most of the offers that are made to you know for sort of very, very cheap or free travel are generally restricted to the residents. So the famous examples, of course, are Tallinn in Estonia, Luxembourg and Malta have completely axed fares, again, but only for residents. So it's out there, but it, it tends to be targeted to the people who live in the conurbation. And I, I have to say, I can understand that. I would suggest that what you do is, you know, if you're visiting, you just nip on the city's website and just see what is available. It, there may be discounts um, or specific seven-day travel cards available to, to tourists, but um, most of these schemes are targeted um, at the people who actually live there. There's much more news and features in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Monday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.